Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Keatman. Great to be with you here this day. And at Chabad House in person this week, we have been having a great time together. Our Chabad Seniors program is going in leaps and bounds. Participants come and enjoy on a Monday morning our memory classes with occupational therapist Cynthia Lipt starting. Please, God, next week we will have art. Therapy with Kim Abadi starting on Monday, the 6th of February, I believe that is. So if you want to be part of that, do let me know. 1 to 3 p.m. and you can work on an incredible, amazing art project with Kim. And besides for that, every day we have a shiur from 10.15 to 11.30. And there we talk about fascinating topics. But just before that, on a Tuesday morning, you could join us for breathing and stretching exercises with Dr. Helen Kennedy. As well. So yes, we are talking about the Torah and the journey of Jewish literature, which is what we decided talking about here on Chayafim two weeks ago, and talking in person with texts and PowerPoints and videos and very interactive at our Chabad Seniors Club. And what we talked about in the past week was how the 24 books of the written Torah is not just monolithic, yes, we believe in one God, so that is the only mono part. But the books of the Torah, now most people are familiar with the five books of Moses, that's the Chumash, but there's more to it. And we talked about how there is the Nevi'im and the Ksuvim, the prophets and the scriptures, the writings. And these 24 books, which essentially you could say is even more, but it's about a thousand pages, it's not that enormous, which is mind-boggling why so many of us are not even familiar with so many parts of it. And that's our aim here, as requested by many of the seniors who participate in our classes. They want to know more and understand what is in these 24 books of Tanakh. They are not just laws, as many people think, and it's not just history, as some people think. There is morals and values and ethics and poetry and philosophy and psychology and just pretty much about every other genre of literature that you could imagine. And there's poetry and there's romance, Right? But the common denominator of all these books of Torah is that they give us what Torah itself means, which is instruction. Instruction on how we ought to live our lives. And the, these three books, the Torah, Nevi, and the Ksuvim, they essentially, the difference between them, which is something we discussed more in depth, is the different levels of divine revelation that is within each of them. The divine communication, which God Almighty communicated to Moses with at when revealing the Torah. And then we have the Nevi'im, the different modes of prophecy, and the Ksuvim, which were composed, which were written with a lesser form of prophecy called Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. But the 613 mitzvahs are in the Torah section, in the five books of Moses, in the Chumash. And the other books, the prophets and the writings, they contain lots of other inspirational and motivational teachings. And in many ways, in fact, firm up and, and strengthen and, and hold up the laws and values and morals and ethics and everything else that's written in the Torah itself. And they're the source for many of the ideological, moral and ethical values that we hold so dear, the inspiration teachings of Torah. 
But the commandments themselves, the 613 mitzvahs, are specifically in the five books of the Torah. Now, here's the question that people wonder. If the written Torah is the product of divine revelation, then something else which we discussed last week, which is the oral Torah. Remember we talk about the written Torah was canonized and written down, which is these books of Tanakh. But then we mentioned how there's the oral Torah, and that in fact contains thousands of books, hundreds of thousands of books that were added throughout history. Are the teachings of the oral Torah of divine origin? Were they in any way given to Moses at Mount Sinai and then passed on from teacher to disciple? Or are they just products of the human mind? Are they just innovations of great scholars of Jewish ethnicity throughout history? And that's what people wonder. That's a question people ask, and that's something we're going to tackle, please God, in next week's session at Chabad Seniors Club, where we'll get more in-depth in that. Because the Torah itself, in fact, seems to contain very much mixed messages in that regard. You see, we discussed how the written Torah is that part of the Torah that was communicated to us by divine revelation, whether by direct communication to Moshe Rabbeinu to Moses at Mount Sinai, or over the 40 years in the sojourn, the journey in the desert, and through prophecy with the various prophets, or by Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. But what about the oral Torah? Where does that come from? Now, there are a number of statements about the nature of the oral Torah that present mixed messages that people wonder about. Now, for those who come in person where we analyze texts, we'll take a look at various sources in the Talmud, but for radio purpose sake, I'm going to try to just summarize and highlight and give you more of a bird's eye view perspective on these matters so we have an understanding. And one of the statements the Talmud tells us and that we get our understanding of what all this is, the Gemara says that the, the scriptures, the Torah itself, in addition, the Mishnah and the Talmud and so many other teachings, it says, Kol Masha Talmud Vasik Asik Lishadish, anything, any wisdom that a proficient scholar or student is destined to innovate, says the Gemara, actually was already said to Moses at Mount Sinai. So that being the case, we have to understand here the Talmud is telling us that all of Scripture, the written Torah, as well as the Mishnah, the Talmud, all the various components of oral Torah, which we'll talk about and analyze and discuss and learn about in the future weeks, the Talmud is telling us that all of it comes from divine origin. We're communicated by God to Moses at Mount Sinai. So we need to understand how that's even possible. I mean, obviously, it's one side of the picture. On the other hand, we have the principle that is another important point which we need to discuss. And we'll talk about the flip side of that when we're back in a moment. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. We're talking about our very interesting interactive lecture series that we do each day of the week at Chabad Seniors Club. And we were talking about this idea that the oral Torah, the Gemara tells us, that both the written and oral Torah were given to us, that Moses already received it at Mount Sinai, yet the Torah itself says that Torah lo he. The Torah is not at heaven, which means that the Torah has been given to us, mortal human beings, to understand, to interpret it, to apply it, to use our finite mortal human minds. Now this concept, this principle, is also talked about in the Gemara. And I'm not going to get into it here, but there's multiple stories. In fact, there's a story about a debate with one of the great scholars, Rabbi Eliezer, and the conclusion that the Gemara tells us is that the oral Torah is a divine revelation given directly from God, yet at the same time we seem to indicate that it is something that has to be processed in the human mind. Now, seemingly, there's like a dichotomy here. Which one is it? Now, the truth is, we have to understand that on the one hand, the Talmud is saying that the whole Torah, including everything that will ever be authored in future generations, was already said to Moses at Sinai. That's what the Gemara tells us. The thing is, it says, the, the very words are, whatever a Talmud Vasik, a proficient student, is destined to innovate. Now, just to think about that, to innovate, the word the word lishadesh comes from the etymology, the root chadash, meaning something new, right? So, in the very terminology that the Talmud is telling us, we are told that there is innovation, that there is this idea of called chidushim, innovations, novelties in Torah teachings. So, how is it possible to be something new and something that was already said, that was already communicated by God to Moses? <laughs> it seems to be a contradiction. And the Talmud itself seems to address this very paradox because it tells us the story about Moses when he was up in Mount Sinai and had questions about the Torah and asks God, and God shows him a vision of the future of Rabbi Akiva who is innovating, who's sharing these inspirational novel ideas. So if Moshe didn't understand these ideas himself, and he is informed that Rabbi Akiva in the future will expound on these very ideas, how could it be then that that is considered Torah's Moshe Misina, the laws given to Moses at Mount Sinai? If Moshe himself is not familiar with them. Now, one way of understanding and resolving this paradox, this seeming contradiction of divine revelation and human innovation in Torah is with an analogy from the field of biology. Think about it. A single cell encoding everything that it will become develops where? Within the womb of a living organism. In that sense, you think the human mind is really the womb in which the divine truths that were communicated at Mount Sinai are just like the 
just like a fetus is forming and developing and growing in during gestation in the womb, in the same way you could say the human mind is like that womb that is developing the wisdom and our understanding of Torah. So on a most fundamental level, when we think of this field of biology, that a DNA strand that has within it the potential to develop, to grow, to, be, you know, just the one little, one little strand, yet it could become an organism comprising trillions of cells and, and the, all the different organs and limbs of the body. And never mind all of our thoughts, the future thoughts and feelings and experiences. And yet, that's all in one little tiny strand of DNA. So, in that sense, what perhaps the Talmud is telling us, that anything this Talmud Vasik, a future proficient student, will innovate, was already said to Moses at Sinai. Not that it was literally said per se, but that was the birth of all the future teachings of Torah. And Moses could be there on Mount Sinai, and yet he sees a future scholar, Rabbi Akiva, who is expounding and explaining and elaborating and interpreting his teachings to clarify it in the future. So essentially, it seems like a paradox, but just think about it. A DNA strand does not develop into a living person on its own, right? It doesn't, this development doesn't occur in a void. It requires that specialized environment of the mother's womb in order for it to, to grow. And, and, and furthermore, the, the mother's womb needs to have the proper conditions and the resources, the right vitamins and, and, and nutrition in order for it to nurture into and develop into a future human being who will be able to do all those things. So in other words, the Torah is a product of this partnership between God and us. Yes, it originates as a divine revelation communicated to us through Moshe Rabbeinu and the prophets who followed him. But it is the human mind, you and I, who are charged with this responsibility to take that little strand of DNA, to take that bit of Torah study, and now to apply it, and to develop it, and to nurture it. Our mind is like the womb in which a fetus is going through the gestation process. And likewise, the Torah gestates and develops through us. So why does the Torah come in these two formats of a written document and an oral tradition? Why would it, why couldn't it have all been written down? That's something we always wonder, right? If there are advantages to a living oral tradition, then why isn't the entire Torah then just a tradition, transmitted orally? And this is something to worthwhile to, to analyze. And to discuss, and no doubt if you join us in person, we're going to do so and look at various sources of 
the Talmud, the Mishnah, and different teachings of Jewish literature that could certainly help us understand this better. For now, I want to share with you a fascinating Medrash. Says the Medrash, it was a great scholar named, I think this is actually Elijah the prophet. Right? And he, Elijah says, I was once traveling on the road, and a person encountered me. And the person had scripture but did not have Mishnah. So he said to me, he asked the question. His question was, Master, scripture was given to us at Mount Sinai. Mishnah was not given to us at Mount Sinai. Now, that's a valid question. I have to tell you personally, I once encountered a Jew locally here in Johannesburg, claimed to be a Karat Jew. Said to me, he only believes in the written law. In the Torah, not of the rabbinic enactments. So Eliyahu responds to this person. He says, both scripture and Mishnah issued from the mouth of Almighty God. What's the difference between them? So he explained, and he gave a parable. He said there was a king who had two beloved servants. And he gave a measure of wheat to one of them and a measure of wheat to the other one. He also gave each of them a bundle of flax. Now the wise one of them took the flax and wove a beautiful cloth out of it. He took the wheat, made fine flour from it, sifted it, milled it, kneaded it, baked it into the most delectable gastronomic delight. He arranged it on the table. He spread the beautiful cloth that he wove over it. And you can imagine how beautiful it looked when he presented it to the king. What did the foolish one do? Garnished. Nothing. So therefore he explains, the king arrived in his palace and he said to his two servants, my children, present to me what I've gifted you. First one brought out the bread, made a fine flour on a table with a beautiful cloth that he had woven and spread over it. The other one brought out the wheat in a box with the bundle of flax on top of it, just as the king had given it to him. And now the question the scholar asks is, which of these servants is more precious to the king? And he concludes, when the Almighty gave the Torah to the people of Israel, he gave it as wheat from which to make fine flour and as flax from which to weave a cloth, like in this little analogy. God obviously could have found a way to communicate the entire Torah to us. But, the Medrash says, Hashem desired that the Torah should be the product of a partnership, a collaboration of divine revelation, and that we should apply our intellect, our intellectual toil. This dynamic of the oral Torah is God's way of incorporating us, that we are part of it. So when we study the Torah, and we process it, and we put it in our minds, and we develop it, we are partnering with God. And this idea, every part of Torah, both the written and the oral, is a product of this divine human collaboration. Even the Torah part of Tanakh, which is the most explicitly divine component of Torah, was actually communicated to us through the mind of a human being, to Moshe Rabbeinu, who was human. After Moshe, likewise. It continued. The divine communication continued through the various prophets. 
And that is just as human. And each prophet interpreted the vision that they were shown by God. And this is, even though they had Ruach HaKodesh, they had this divine inspiration with which they wrote their works, the, the scriptures. Even the written Torah was communicated through various degrees of human involvement. But at the same time, what do we say? Even the most human components of the oral Torah are at the end of the day the divine wisdom and will, you know, God's will being channeled through the mediums of the human mind. So every part of Torah is a collaboration of divine revelation and human intellect. But in the written Torah, the divine revelation element is more dominant, while the human vehicle through which the revelation is communicated, it's playing, so to say, a secondary role. And this, of course, is different than the oral Torah, where God, so to speak, you know, gives us the background and empowers the human mind to expound and articulate his divine, his will and wisdom. So, of course, this explains the significant difference between the written and the oral dimensions of Torah. In the written Torah, not just the content, but also the wording is divinely communicated or inspired. And therefore, the exact wording is analyzed. The laws and insights are derived not just from the very verse, but from its very choice of phraseology, the exact, the precise wording, the specific spelling of a word. Oftentimes, multiple meanings are actually discovered in each word and phrase within Torah, which is something we're going to discuss and analyze in our in-person sessions and look at certain examples of that. And that's why we call it the written Torah. The wording itself is also Torah. That's why we have the rule that the words that were given in writing were not to be communicated orally. The written Torah must always be taught from the text as the words themselves contain so much more than what can be taught by just communicating the content in the teacher's own words in the oral version. But at this, you know, the oral Torah, although much of it has actually been written down, it remains essentially an oral communication, even though you could say that it is something that is still being developed. It's still called the oral Torah because the significance of it is more than just the words. The difference between these two forms of Torah, in fact, has a legal implication in Jewish law. Before learning Torah, we actually recite a blessing. We thank and praise God. who has chosen us from all the nations. The Nasan Lano has given us his Torah. This is the blessing we say when we're called up for an Aliyah to, to read from the Torah. And we also say this blessing every morning, right? We, we want to cover all the Torah learning we're going to do throughout the day. The question is, could a person who just reads the words without understanding the meaning, do they still say the blessing? So when it comes to the written Torah, we fulfill the mitzvah of learning the Torah even just by saying the words. But when it comes to the oral Torah, you have to understand what you're saying. So when we talk about the strand of DNA that encapsulates everything that a person will become, 
Yet this person is a new novel, constantly growing and developing creation. In the same way, while the entire Torah was communicated to us at Sinai, the human mind is the womb in which the Torah develops as a constantly growing and expanding organism. And in the same way, we say, this divine human collaboration, this duality in the Torah exists because God wanted that the Torah should embody this partnership between God and us. In the written Torah, the divine side of the partnership dominates, and it's expressed in the exact wording of the text that you see in the written words of the Torah. But in the oral Torah, the human contribution is more pronounced, and therefore it is more elaborated and finds expression in the understanding of its context, which is something we're going to talk more about in our in-person programming, which we invite you to join us for. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Ladies and gents, welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiedman. And we've been talking about the difference between the written Torah, the Tanakh, as well as the oral Torah. And we discussed the relationship between the written Torah and the oral Torah sort of as a process in which, yes, it was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, but we have the opportunity to develop and to apply it in our world. And that's the difference between the oral and written Torah. And in fact, for those coming to join us in person, we'll be exploring various areas of oral Torah and seeing how it is derived and legislated from the written Torah. You'll see how halacha, how practical Jewish law is applied and how it's learned from the Torah. We'll explore different parts of Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah, which is the mystical dimension of Torah, and philosophy, and morals and ethics. And we'll get a real good bird's eye view of the different aspects of Torah. But all of these different genres of Torah, whether it's the oral and particularly the written, are all actually contained, all these themes are within the written Torah. And that's an important part to understand. Because when you look at the 24 books of Torah, the written Torah includes every genre of knowledge, every style of learning, laws and ethics and history and biography and, and poetry and philosophy and cosmology and psychology. And as you go through Torah, you will see all of those themes. But of course, they are elaborated and developed more in the oral Torah. So just considering that analogy I mentioned before, DNA and the human being, you could see another parallel within this dynamic. Just like a DNA strand contains the coding for the full range of aspects and dimensions that make a physical human being, how, that, that, that forms a person, the physiology, the, the body type, the, the coloring, the metabolism, the intelligence, the psychology, all of that. Well, in that sense, my friends, the written Torah is similarly the source code for all the different genres of Jewish literature, the oral Torah. And we'll talk about these when you come join us in person. You'll see how we analyze each of these areas from the Medrash to the Talmud to Halacha to Musr, Hakira. Um, well, someone's asking me to explain. We'll, we'll talk about those if you join us in person. Hakira's Jewish philosophy, Kabbalah, all these different areas. 
we'll, we'll, we'll see this again and again. And as we review the ideas and teachings from the different parts of the oral Torah, we'll try to do is go back and trace them all the way to their source in the teachings of the written Torah. And you'll realize how all of it comes back to the very beginning, to within the written Torah, within the scriptures and prophets, you will see how each area of Jewish law, of philosophy, etc., how it's all developed within them. And just to share a few examples of how subjects that are elaborated on in the Oral Torah appear in the Tanakh. Let me, you know, for example, in the Oral Torah and Halacha, when you look at the word Halacha, Halacha refers to those books of Jewish law, the legal aspect of Torah. That instructs us the do's and don'ts, right? Honor your father and your mother, or don't steal, right? The 613 commandments of the Torah, these are all the biblical mitzvahs. They derive from exact, precise verses and passages in the written Torah. Not just in Tanakh. I said before, specifically in the five books of the Chumash. In the written Torah, many of the mitzvahs are expressed in a few lines of text. Even just in a few words. Whereas when you open a book of Halacha, the Shulchan Aruch as an example... The halachic literature of the oral Torah gets into a lot more of detail. And we'll discuss those details, how it's derived from these few lines of words. Take, for example, the mitzvah to rest on Shabbos. Okay? Here, we're going to read this in the Torah portion in two weeks' time, when God gives us the Ten Commandments. Remember the day of Shabbos and keep it holy. Now, the Torah says for six days you could, you should work. In fact, it's an instruction, a commandment, that we have to work for a living to expect to cover our bills. So let me ask you, what is work? Before we talk about the seventh day, should be a day of rest, a day for God. What constitutes work, which means... On Shabbos, we have to desist from that kind of activity, from that labor. What is work that we have to refrain from on this day of Shabbos? Is baking a cake work? Right? So when you open a book of halach, of Jewish law, you all of a sudden get a taste and understanding of what it means to work. Halacha is the field of Torah that deals with these very questions. Halacha will examine the word that Torah uses for work, the word malacha, and it looks at the other occasions in which this word is used, and at the context in which the prohibition of doing work on Shabbos appears in the Torah. And based on these and so many different pointers that the Talmud and Jewish law tells us, Halacha determines which actions constitute work on Shabbos, what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And Halacha derives the additional laws. So we have what's called the Avos Malachas, the principal labors that are forbidden on Shabbos, and then the Tuldus, the offspring, the sub-laws 
that we determine are the nature of what is allowed and not allowed on Shabbos. What's work and what's rest? This is something that's discussed in the Gemara, just as an example of what it entails. Of course, there's lots more. And when we come back in a moment, we'll look at an example from philosophy. And maybe if we have enough time, we could look at one more example from mysticism, from Kabbalah, and get a taste of what these different areas, the genres of Jewish teachings, how they all come from the very same source within the Torah. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kiedman. And we've been just giving some examples of how oral Torah is elaborates on and derives from and various laws legislated from the written Torah. So I'll give you an example about Shabbos since we have that every week. Let's take another example, a question I get all the time, particularly this week's partial where we talk about Pharaoh. And one of the big topics that is discussed in Jewish philosophy and theology is the principle of free choice. It's a question I get all the time. Do we have free choice? The truth is this core principle is one that is discussed numerous times and, and clearly mentioned in the Torah that God says, I place before you today blessing and curse, right? A good and bad, life and good. And I'm not quoting the verse verbatim, the verse in Deuteronomy, but just the conclusion of that verse, God says, the Torah says, choose life. So now the question, of course, is, is that, what's the meaning of that choose life? Is that a commandment? Is that a prediction? Is it a promise? Is it an empowerment? And, you know, how does this affect our freedom of choice? We, during the week, when you join us in person, are going to analyze some of the Jewish philosophers that discuss this. And who deal, who grapple with this very question and give us various examples. One example people often mention, did Pharaoh have free choice? The simple answer is, if you follow the text of the Torah, first he did a free choice. And he chose to persecute and to enslave the Jewish people. At the end, God took his free choice away and said, I will harden his heart. But God tells Moses, I am the one who hardened his heart now. So when you join us in person during the week at the Chabad Seniors Club, from 10.15 till 11.30 when we delve into this, we're going to look at various texts of Jewish philosophy and theology that discuss this very idea. How is it possible to have free choice if there are other verses in the Torah that seem to indicate otherwise? So I want you to join us for this conversation. This is just a, a teaser and a tester. Some people try to understand Jewish mysticism and understand how does that work? You know, we, we have various prayers that talk, you know, that actually come from Tanakh. Many of it comes from Tehillim. So on the surface, it seems like words that are just praising God and thanking God for what God gives us. But in the teachings of Kabbalah, the, the mystical dimensions of Torah, we get a much deeper understanding of what these words mean. And when you study Jewish mysticism, you get a taste of how it's derived, actually, from the very written words of the Torah itself. So, my friends, I want you to come join us in person if you are part of the seniors 
community, young at heart, and come experience a bird's eye view, get a basic perspective of all different genres of Jewish philosophy, and you'll see the relationship between the written Torah, the oral Torah. We'll look at various texts of the written Torah, we'll look at the books of the prophets and the scriptures and understand what is each book, what contribution does each book make, what difference does it make. And then we will explore various areas, genres of oral Torah. What is the Midrash? What is the Mishnah? And the Talmud? Is it a set of books, uh, a methodology? And we'll learn about the methods by which the sages actually excavate the multiple layers of meaning that are contained within the oral Torah. How it's learned from the actual text, the source, which is the written Torah. And we'll explore the mysterious pathways of the oral Torah. I invite you to come join us in person at Chabad House and get a taste of all these different areas of Jewish literature. It will be my privilege to take this journey with you. And we will all come out better educated and with a clearer understanding of all of Jewish teachings. So please do join me. Remember, here at Chabad Seniors, our motto is, we desire to aspire, to inspire before we retire so that hopefully we don't expire, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes, my friends, aspire to inspire before you expire. Carpe diem sees this very moment, every moment. Chaparain, wishing you all a great Shabbos. Thank you for joining us here on Soul to Soul, Chai FM.